Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Power Hour podcast. We've got a great lineup, so let's get started. Good morning, we're uh, glad to have you with us and we're coming to you live from America's favorite island today. Uh, you might know by now, just yesterday it was announced that County Nash Traveler Readers ranked as number one, the number one island once again. Uh, with They have over 800,000 voters that voted on that and beating out such islands as Maui and Oahu and many others that have a similar cachet as that. Also, I can't let the moment pass without recognizing some of our partners that were also recognized in this, which is just great uh, publicity and, and uh, great mentions for Hilton Head Island and really the entire region as well as South Carolina. I might note that Montage Palmetto Bluff was the number one resort in South Carolina, in the South, I'm sorry, in the South, and then uh, Palmetto Dunes Resort, the Omni Resort, and the Inn Club at Harbortown were also all in the top 20. And then I'm pleased to report that once again, our friends at the Savannah Hilton International Airport is also at the top of the list at number one once again. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and, and the, the process and what it means. Uh, we're pleased to have with us Jesse Ashlock. And De Jesse is the Deputy Global Editor, Editorial Director for County Nash Traveler. Jesse was a big day for Hillnet Island yesterday, just like it has been for the last five years and uh, we're so grateful to, to receive this as a, an island and uh, talk to us a little bit this morning if you would about what that uh, what we go through to, to receive that achievement. Well, good morning Bill thanks for having me back it's so nice to be with you all again um, and uh, congratulations on your winning streak um, not only of course with Hilton Head Island but of course with um, with your fabulous airport also receiving number one again. And uh, I believe you had pretty much utter domination of the best resorts in the South list, um, scoring uh, about 20% of the properties between Hilton Head and... Um, uh, so we we had a record setting number of voters this year, um, uh, more than 800,000. We're, we're trending up towards a million voters in our RCA voting. And I think that that record uh, reflects the passion and um, pent up desire of our audience base to, to uh, travel again. Um, these votes were cast between April 1st and May 31st. Um, so in contrast to last year, when the votes that were cast were by voters who really weren't traveling and who were like stuck at home and um, and really just dreaming. This year, they were cast by people who returned, uh, who'd begun who'd begun traveling again. Um, and um, I think uh, you know your wins this year really show uh, how appealing and attractive um, your product is. I mean, all the time, of course, but especially in this moment, as something that is. Um, that is safe, that is diverse, that is beautiful. Um, and that is a good kind of first and second and third step for a lot of travelers um, uh, who are looking to get back out there. And speaking for myself as a um, parent of two young children, as a, as a very family friendly destination. And I think that really, really matters more than ever right now. Um, we, uh, we added some, um, additional questions to our, our uh, survey this year, um, just because we wanted to get a snapshot of um, how people were feeling about travel. Um, and, uh, you know, given the fact that everything is so different and, and we got some really, really interesting and, and um, encouraging results. Uh, one of the most interesting ones was um, more than three quarters of our respondents told us that they're actually more likely to take a vacation uh, than they were prior to COVID. Um, 
we we um, we got an overwhelming number of respondents who told us that their travel habits have shifted and their desire to travel is greater than it was before COVID. So I think that um, both uh, for Hilton Head Island and and for travel in general, this year's RCA results were incredibly encouraging, and they they make me really excited about 2022 and beyond. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, we appreciate that. And if you would, looking into this fall and, and a little bit into the, the new year, what uh, what are you expecting that we'll see regarding travel uh, as the new year comes about? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the rediscovery of the Great American Road Trip, which began last summer, is not going away anytime soon. Um, and I think that we saw that again this summer and um, we'll see it in uh, warmer weather uh, areas um, throughout the winter and into next summer as well. And I think that's going to be an ongoing um, reality of travel in the U.S. I think that um, uh, travel for um, outdoor experiences, um, for nature, uh, has proven to be a real strong motivator. Obviously, it was one before the pandemic, but it's one that people are saying they want more than ever uh, coming coming out again. And somewhere related to that, um, is uh, is a desire more than ever to have some kind of positive impact through your choice to travel and to be connected to um, a conservation project. And I think about the sea turtles um, with you guys, uh, or to be knowing in some way that your your travel buck is benefiting the community and that you're going to play a, a role, however small, in um, in leaving a place better than you found it when you got there. Um, our our uh, our reader surveys and our um, our market research, our insights um, show that that is a bigger deal to our travelers, uh, to our audience than ever. And um, and I think it'll uh, make a big difference in how how we and how you all talk to them going forward. Yes, oh, yeah, if I get yeah, one more thing, I know um, you all are uh, are uh, going to be part of our annual points of view summit, um, which focuses on the, the specialist community. And I would add just to, to your question, Bill, one more thing about the, about travel advisors, travel specialists. I think that um, you know, what we've gone through in the last 18 months has underscored their incredible value to travelers um, in 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 times of in times of difficulty and and in times. Um, that are that are the best times in terms of what the, they can provide you when things are when when you have a problem they can fix it and they can get you um, unparalleled access and, and experiences that you can't find anymore and those kind of unique bespoke experiences are also something that our audience has said that they desire more than ever. Jesse, I got to ask you: over eight hundred thousand readers and voters. It's a big, big number. Does that number surprise you, uh, any, and, and how it's grown over the last several years? I mean, a little bit because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when things are when things are so different. Um, you know, we've all been thrown off of our game. Um, and but ultimately, obviously, it's incredibly heartening because it shows that um, that it just shows how engaged people have remained with travel, even as their ability to travel has been restricted to whatever degree in terms of the dust, even as the destinations that they can choose from ha has been restricted. Um, and so I think it shows, um, Bill, I mentioned that I'd like us to get to a million. So maybe we can shoot for that next year and then your win will be even sweeter in 2022. Um, I think it shows that the, um, that, that, you know, this time away from travel or this time of diminished travel just showed, uh, show people like how incredible it is what they've got when they are able to travel. And I think that they will, um, they will return to the skies, to the roads, to the seas with even greater passion than before. And also perhaps um, 
a, a little bit more personal awareness about how their decisions as travelers impact the world. Yeah, I've, I've got to say that while this is so important to us for as a tourism destination, it's also really important, I think, for our listeners to remember that it, it helps us from a real estate standpoint. It helps us with property values. It helps us kind of being the it spot. And when you're looking at people relocating, when you're looking at businesses thinking about coming, um, uh, even even people looking for jobs, you want to go to some place that uh, has the quality of, of a destination like we have. And, and that's another reason that we, we value this award as much as we do. I'll add one more comment there, Bill, if I might. Um, we don't see, you know, I mean, people are going to go back to the office. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to go back to the office, but uh, we see more flexible work arrangements as being, you know, kind of the law of the land in the future. And, um, and that could include long-term remote work arrangements. Um, you know, I don't think it'll be quite as flexible as it was a year ago, um, but but I think that um, that plays into what you're just talking about, because I think you have an incredibly appealing destination for people who want to go work somewhere else for a while. Um, so that that is uh, something to consider as well. Jesse, I want to thank you for being with us this morning. And uh, again, on behalf of a, a grateful island and a region, we certainly appreciate it and, and uh, honored to uh, receive it for the fifth time. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks again for asking me back. And I hope to see you again next year. I know I will. Look forward to it. Thank you. Take care. And I'll just remind each of each of you today that uh, again, this is not a, a chamber of commerce award. It's an island award. It's an award because uh, so many of you are so good at what you do and and uh, you know being kind as well as taking care of the customer and all those things are important for making a, a great destination great. And so, uh, thank you to each of you. We're going to transition now to uh, our, our next speaker. We know we've got a great lineup today and lots of things to talk about. We're going to start with the big picture, and we're getting ready to uh, uh, talk with United States Senator Lindsey Graham. And uh, uh, lots going on in Washington. We know that the, the debt limit is a topic, the uh, reconciliation bill as well, infrastructure plan, uh, what's going on with big tech. So lots of things that... Uh, uh, there are to talk about. We're just delighted to have with us today our, our friend and our United States Senator, Lindsey Graham. Senator, welcome, and uh, we're delighted to have you with us today. Well, you don't get to look at me, so that's a, that's a good start to your day. Uh, so anyway, uh, the debt ceiling, uh, you'll be hearing about that in the coming days. We're going to vote on it today. And the bottom line is we've sort of maxed out the credit card. And they want a, a blank check in terms of future spending. And Republicans are not going to help them raise the debt ceiling to accommodate three or five to three to five trillion dollars spending on their reconciliation bill. If they want to uh, raise the debt ceiling to accommodate this spending they're doing by themselves, then they need to raise the debt ceiling by themselves. And they have the ability to do that. And they just don't want to do it politically. And uh, the reconciliation route to raise the debt ceiling, they'll actually have to put a number down of how much they want to uh, increase the credit card borrowing power. So that's what's going on with the debt ceiling. The Democrats have decided to use reconciliation to spend three to five trillion dollars uh, without any Republican input on things that I believe not to be remotely connected to infrastructure, growing the size of government, mandates on your business that will be passed on to the consumer, and we're not going to help. You know, if they want to do this by themselves in terms of spending, they can raise the debt ceiling. 
The reconciliation package is an absolute friggin' nightmare for business. It's a nightmare for the taxpayer. It's going to lead to rampant inflation. Um, there's a provision in there that the IRS can check everybody's bank account for any transaction over $600. Um, they're mandating paid pa- uh, paid family leave, which will be a cost to everybody listening uh, in terms of your business cost, and you'll pass it on to the consumer. This is basically growing the government, not building roads, bridges, and ports. I supported the bipartisan infrastructure bill of a $1.2 trillion because it has a 30% increase for highway funding in South Carolina. We're desperately short of the infrastructure dollars we need. You know that better than anybody. So I think the bipartisan bill makes sense. This road bridges ports. It's 550 of new spending allows COVID money to be reprogrammed for infrastructure needs. The reconciliation, three and a half, really $5 trillion package is just a liberal's um, wish list that marches us towards socialism. So what's going to happen? We're going to have a fight about the debt ceiling. We're not going to uh, give them a blank check to spend money. They can figure this out on their own. When it comes to the bipartisan bill, I hope it passes, but it's being held hostage by liberals to pass the three to five trillion dollar reconciliation bill, three and a half to five and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill. So that's sort of where we're at right now. The government is funded to December the third. We need to do away with the continuing resolution and actually appropriate money to fund the government. Uh, I have some directed spending in the bill that will be helpful to the community, but we need to take care of our um, military bases in in uh, the Buford Hilton Head area. We need to put money into roads, and the bottom line is the last thing we need to do for your business is to raise taxes. And how do you pay for this bill? Joe Manchin says that the additional spending has to be paid for. Well, they're looking at raising taxes on uh, corporations. 25 to 28 percent, will, which will make us less competitive in the world economy. Uh, they're going to have all kind of fees and taxes hidden in this bill that will hit that will hit middle class workers. Um, the Joint Tax Commission came out with a an analysis yesterday that 25 percent of the people that make less than fifty thousand dollars a year are going to have a tax increase, and if you make from 75 to 150,000, 93 percent of the people in that income bracket are going to have tax increases. There's no way that they can raise this much money without raising taxes across the board. Uh, they're going to do a stepped-up basis, which would mean that you get taxed on an estate at the value of death, uh, not at the value of purchase. Um, just all kind of hidden fees and taxes in this bill, and I'm going to fight like hell. All right, Senator. Thank you. Um, we've got a few questions that uh, from our listeners this morning. The first one's coming to us from Melinda, and Melinda is asking if there are still Americans who want to get out of Afghanistan, and if so, what we're doing to bring them home. Uh, yes, and I don't know. Um, the Taliban have sort of all the leverage now. We've got thousands of Afghans who uh, supported us during the war we left behind. And I'm convinced if we had had 2,500 troops at Bagram Air Force Base, the Taliban would not be in charge today. This is the biggest mistake since 9-11. I think there are hundreds of American citizens and Green Card holders and their families still left behind. And the Taliban are squeezing the Biden administration to get these people out. And I'd do it a different way. I would say, here's who we want out, and if you get in our way, you're going to regret it. So we're letting the Taliban 
kick us around. It's just a matter of time that al-Qaeda comes roaring back in Afghanistan. The Taliban don't have the will nor the capability to police al-Qaeda and ISIS to protect the American homeland. This is a complete disaster. We have left Americans behind. Nobody really knows the number, and only God knows what's going on to the women of Afghanistan. But what does it matter to us? After 20 years of being there, preventing attacks on our homeland, we pulled the plug. Biden made this decision. He was told by the military what would happen if he left. He did it anyway. And I've never been more worried about a terrorist attack on our homeland than I am right now. The likelihood of increased terrorist activity in Afghanistan is great. The ability to do something about it is almost non-existent because we don't have anybody on the ground. Over the horizon capability to control terrorism, I think, is a military fantasy. And you've got a completely broken border. So how hard would it be to have some terrorist cells migrate from Afghanistan to Mideast to get into the United States through a broken border? So this is really dangerous times in which we live in. And um, I will do everything I can to let the public know what's going on and pressure the Biden administration to change course. Senator, a couple more questions for you. Uh, one is coming from Joe, and Joe is asking about uh, uh, the nuking, what your thoughts are and the possibilities of nuking the filibuster. Well, you know, the filibuster is the only thing standing between D.C. becoming a state, Puerto Rico becoming a state, the Supreme Court being packed to do away with the conservative majority, abolishing the Electoral College so that New York and California would have a dominant say. I think Sinema and Manchin are not going to change the rules of the Senate, at least I hope not. It would make the Senate the House. And I can just tell Joe this. When Trump was president, the Republicans had the House and the Senate, and I was getting beat on every day to change the rules so we could pass everything we wanted without Democratic input. I said, no, uh, there'll come a day that the other side will have the same power, and I don't want the Senate to become the House. I think major changes to our country need to be bipartisan, and the minority needs a say to serve the country well. So Trump was beating on us every day, and I said, no thanks, uh, Mr. President, I'm not going to do that. Now the shoe's on the other foot. About every Democrat who signed a letter with me saying, keep the filibuster, are now saying they will change the rules of the Senate. Manchin and Cinema seem to be holding strong. But I can say this, when I was in the shoes that they're in, Manchin and Cinema, I never told Democrats, unless you do certain things, I may change the rules. So I don't like being held hostage. And um, I hope and pray that we don't change the rules. And I hope and pray that we get the House and Senate back to stop this socialist train. We've been hearing about big tech for a while now, and yesterday, with yesterday's developments of Facebook, uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about what, where you see that going. Yeah, big tech, big tech, uh, they've enriched our lives and they've uh, created nightmares for our lives. Instagram and other social media outlets um, manipulate the um, kids. Uh, I believe the whistleblower is right. I'm going to introduce a bill tomorrow that will bipartisan that will eliminate Section 230 protections uh, for social media. Everybody on this phone call right now, you can be sued if, if your product doesn't work or if somebody gets hurt by using your product. Social media companies are immune from lawsuits under Section 230. If they take your content down, you don't have any recourse. If uh, they manipulate the algorithms to give one group an advantage over the other. There's nothing you can do about it. 
if they set in motion websites that can do harm to your children and they don't properly regulate them, there's nothing you can do about it. They're the largest companies in the history of the world. In America, they need to regulate it. There are no regulations for how these people do this stuff. And they're immune from lawsuits. So next tomorrow, I'm going to introduce legislation that says two years from now, Section 230 liability protections go away. It sunsets that provision, puts it on a clock, and gives us two years to find a way to deal with these companies. Every nation in the world they do business in, they don't have Section 230 liability protection except the United States. And the day that you can sue these people for any harm they do to you is the day they'll change your behavior. Until then, they're never going to change. Senator, thank you for sharing that with us. I guess uh, we can't let you leave without asking one more question. What's your prediction on Saturday? Uh, Gamecocks at Tennessee. Um, there's so many things going on in America that I don't understand. <laughs> I understand this. Where's the game being played at? At Tennessee. Tough day for the Gamecocks. <laughs> All right. We could beat we could beat them at home, but we don't travel well. Uh, quarterbacks matter. What have I learned? Quarterbacks matter. Clemson's struggling a little bit. Guy's a gifted athlete, DJ, but he's having a hard time getting in his rhythm. And Carolina's had a problem at quarterback. And I've been a Gamecock fan since high school, and our motto is to wait to next year. So. Yeah, can't wait to see y'all in person. <laughs> Go Hopefully you'll uh, be back to the island in Bluffton, play golf, and see us again sometime real soon. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thanks. Uh, sorry for the glitch. Pray for the country. We'll see you. Yes, sir. Thank you. The United States Senator Lindsey Graham. We'll transition now to talking a little bit about COVID, and we know that uh, thankfully cases are, are trending downward in, in many areas. And here to tell us about how Beaufort County is doing with that, we have our uh, favorite epidemiologist back with us. That's Dr. J Jane Kelly with DHEC. Dr. Kelly, good morning, and thanks for being with us. Good morning, and thank you for inviting me. Hang on just a second, and let me pull up some slides. So here's the state of the state. Now here's the epi curve, the number of new cases in those blue bars, and the green line is the average, weekly average of new cases. And we hit a big peak. We hit a big peak in early uh, September that was about the same as what we were seeing shortly after the Christmas, New Year's holidays in early January. Thankfully, it is coming down. Uh, the number of new cases is definitely coming down, but we are still in the thousands per day. Per day. So I don't feel that we can completely say we've turned a corner and I don't want people to feel complacent because winter holidays are coming up. People are going to be traveling. People will be gathering in indoor settings. So we're still encouraging people to be careful. You know, there there will come an end to this pandemic. It will no longer be a crisis uh, in the future. But I think COVID is not likely to be completely eliminated or eradicated like polio or smallpox. I think the future is that we will have a new normal, that uh, COVID may become a annual 
issue, just like influenza, but hopefully not an issue involving hospitalizations and deaths. Let's talk a little bit about breakthrough cases. These are cases of COVID-19 infection in people who have been fully vaccinated. What is the scoop on breakthrough cases? Number one thing I want people to understand is that breakthrough cases are rare. This is South Carolina data. But this is true nationally, and many other states also publish their data this way, looking at how among the people who have been fully vaccinated, which in South Carolina is more than two million people, how many of them have had a breakthrough infection? As you can see all the way in the lower left box, uh, that that is less than point. 5% of people who are fully vaccinated who've had a breakthrough infection. And if you look at the number of people who have breakthrough infection that resulted in hospitalization or unfortunately death, it is a very small number of people. The vast majority of these people, more than 95% of these people have multiple other medical problems, including being immunocompromised, meaning that their immune system did not have a strong response to being vaccinated. I just want to put in a little bit of explanation for people about how vaccines work and don't work. You know, vaccines don't put you in a magic bubble or give you a shield so that the virus particles just bounce off you. In fact, if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, if you're exposed to the virus, if those virus droplets enter your mouth, your nose or your eyes, you can get infected with COVID-19. But the difference is what happens next, whether you're vaccinated or not. If you're not vaccinated and you're not immune, those virus particles enter your system and enter your cells and cause infection. They multiply, they release more viral particles, and that's what causes the symptoms of COVID-19, and that's what causes some people to go on and develop severe disease. If you're vaccinated, if you are immune, those virus particles still can enter your respiratory system. It's what happens next that's important. They get coated with antibodies and they get literally ingested, gobbled up by different cells in your immune system and destroyed. And that's what shortens the length of time that you might be sick with the virus, or it'll prevent you from developing severe disease with a few exceptions in people who have multiple problems or who are immunocompromised. But vaccination also reduces transmission of the virus. How can I say that? Well, there are a number of studies, but I'm just going to point to one of them. This was done in Scotland. Almost 200,000 household members of about 144,000 healthcare workers. They chose this particular group because think about it, healthcare workers, they get exposed at work over and over again to COVID-19. Do they get infected and do they bring it home? What this study looked at was how many confirmed COVID cases in household members before and after the healthcare worker vaccination. So not to get too far in the weeds, but the idea here is People who are healthcare workers, they get exposed all the time. They bring the virus home. And in fact, if you compare before and after vaccination, the number of cases of household members, people who got infected from their family members, dropped by more than 300% two weeks after that healthcare worker had a second dose. 
So just to just to, again, bring home the message of getting vaccinated not only protects you, it protects the people at home, it protects your community. I know boosters have been in the news, so I want to go over what were those specific recommendations around boosters. First of all, I'm going to talk just about the Pfizer vaccine, because it's the Pfizer vaccine that right now has that authorization for giving a booster shot. The recommendations for who should receive a booster and a booster is a third shot that you get at least six months after your original two dose vaccination. This is only for people who got Pfizer. People who are recommended to get a booster are people age 65 years or older or people living in long-term care facilities because it's been demonstrated they the immune response starts to wane. It starts to decrease in those older adults or people in nursing home settings. What about younger adults? Well, people age 50 to 64 who have certain underlying medical conditions. And there's a long list of them. That's a lot of people in South Carolina. Diabetes, heart, kidney, liver, lung disease, even people who are overweight or obese, age 50 to 64, are recommended to get a booster shot. But there are other people who may get a booster shot, and it's based on their individual benefits and risks. And we, we suggest people either talk to their healthcare provider or you know, try and make a decision for themselves. How likely are you to be exposed to COVID-19? Are you a worker in a healthcare setting? Are you a teacher where you're exposed a lot? And if you're exposed a lot, how high is your personal risk of getting severe COVID? Do you have a bunch of medical conditions? So those are people who may get a booster shot. And it's a decision, a personal decision, ages 18 to 49, 18 to 64, who may be at increased risk. It's a personal decision. You can talk to your healthcare provider or your pharmacist about whether you want to get a booster. And what about if you were vaccinated with Moderna or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? The FDA is going to be reviewing their authorization applications for a booster next week. So we will we'll have a decision next week about Moderna or the J&J. &J. The data that I have seen make me feel pretty confident that both of these will be approved for boosters. So right now it is not recommended that you mix and match your doses. If you got Moderna or if you got Johnson & Johnson, it is recommended that you not get the Pfizer booster. It's recommended that you wait and just a word about the Johnson & Johnson, their unpublished data looks like they're right up there with the Pfizer and Moderna. If you get that second dose, right up there with 94% efficacy. So that's very good news. Who should uh, get that booster question also includes pregnant women. Pregnant women fall in the category of people who may be vaccinated, ages 18 to 49, with a medical condition, Pregnancy that places them at higher risk. Pregnancy and COVID are a bad combination. Pregnant women are more likely to have complications. And again, in terms of who's in that increased occupational risk, well, it's basically anybody who is front facing with the public. So teachers are the first thing, first group that come to many people's minds because they're working with children who may not be vaccinated. If they're working with children who are under age 12, there is no vaccine for those kids yet. So workers in daycare settings, teachers, but also grocery store people in 
uh, convenience stores, people who are yeah, anybody who is front facing with the public. Where are we as a state in terms of vaccination status? Well, the good news that is that over 75 percent of South Carolinians who are 65 or older are fully vaccinated. But as you can see in this figure, that percent of vaccinated drops down with younger ages. And so the age 12 through 19 and 20 through 24, we're still looking at less than a third of people are vaccinated. And I, I picked out two main reasons, I think, that there is some concern in that age group about getting vaccinated. One of them is fertility fears. And again, I want to emphasize this is a rumor. This was a rumor that started back in December of 2020, talking about perhaps the vaccine will interfere with fertility. There is no evidence of that. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One is the fact that over 35,000 women have been vaccinated while they were pregnant in the United States, and they were registered in this system called V-SAFE, where CDC contacts them every week for the first six weeks and then follows them through uh, six months after delivery, looking for things like complications, miscarriages, stillbirths. There's been no evidence of an increase in pregnancy loss. But there's some new data also. I found this pun particularly interesting, and I've got the links down at the bottom if anybody wants to read further. Unintended pregnancies occur at the same rate in vaccinated as in unvaccinated women. Unintended pregnancies occurring at the same rate. And fertility clinic patients, there's been no difference in successful embryo implantation rates, whether you have been vaccinated, whether you've been previously infected, or whether you are seronegative, meaning you've never been infected and you never got the vaccine. So there's no reason to think that fertility is affected by vaccination. The other one I hear a lot about is myocarditis fears. Myocarditis, that's an inflammation of the heart muscle. Sounds very scary. In fact, most myocarditis cases are very mild. We have, I think, previously, I think we may have talked about the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, and that tells us that, yes, there have been some myocarditis cases associated with vaccine. It varies by age. Male, It's more common among males and especially younger males. But again, they're small numbers. They're mild cases. But it's not just about VAERS. This was another recent publication, Kaiser Permanente Southern California analysis, looking at myocarditis, looking at it for the after the vaccine, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and they compared that incidence of myocarditis vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Over 2 million people vaccinated, 15 cases of myocarditis. That's like one case for 172,000 fully vaccinated individuals. That is higher than the background rate of myocarditis in people who are unvaccinated. Remember, you can get myocarditis from uh, a virus. You can get it from autoimmune disease. You can get it from a medication. I just want to put it to rest that, yes, myocarditis can occur associated with vaccine, but it's mild. It's rare. People completely recover. Here's just a table showing that same data. So making the point that does not cause long-term 
heart problems. People are in the hospital for a couple of days, be monitored on a, a heart monitor to watch their heart rhythm, but then they are discharged, fully recovered. And I always like to end on a, a, max, a, a, a mask uh, recommendation. It is possible to prevent COVID-19 spread, even in situations where kids are gathered to get closely together. This is more than 7,000 people, nine overnight youth camps in this past summer, June through August 2021, while the Delta variant, the highly transmissible Delta variant was circulating. But 93% of the people who, who were eligible for vaccination, meaning, you know, age 12 or above, were vaccinated, they wore masks, they did all the appropriate things. Only nine people out of 7,000 people tested positive for COVID and there was no spread within camp. So thank you again for giving me the time to share with you and I'm happy to take some questions. All right, Dr. Kelly, thank you for that update. And uh, first question is coming from Megan. And Megan is asking if you get the flu shot, does that help enhance your vaccination? Yes, it is important to get the flu shot. It is flu season. Now is the time to get it. You can get the flu shot and the COVID vaccine at the same time. We suggest putting them in different arms to reduce soreness. Um, but the flu shot, in fact, probably will decrease your chance of getting other respiratory infections like COVID. We know that's true for other infections such as uh, pneumonia. So getting the flu shot will help reduce your risk of getting influenza. And if you get the flu, it will be a milder condition because you had the vaccine and you have antibodies to the virus. And it will help reduce your susceptibility or vulnerability to other infections like COVID. So, yes, we strongly encourage getting the flu vaccine. All right. Our next question is coming from Joe. And Joe is asking if there's any downside to getting the booster. And if not, shouldn't you go ahead and get that from who you received your first and second shots from? They, they did look at, do people have more symptoms after getting that third dose? And people got about the same spectrum of symptoms that they got with the second dose, meaning you get a sore arm, you feel achy all over. Think about how did you feel after you got your second dose? You can expect that you will probably have about the same symptoms, but not a lot more symptoms than that. The third dose is the exact same vaccine as the set first and second dose, same quantity of vaccine. So you'd expect about the same. Otherwise, there's been no, un, you know, no other adverse events associated with the third dose. Dr. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for once again being with us today and another very important and informative update. And we'll look forward to uh, talking with you again in a few weeks. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We're going to bring things down a little closer to home now. And uh, we're pleased to have the new Hilton Head Healthcare Market CEO, and that's Joel Taylor. And Joel is stepping in to fill a role that uh, held by our longtime CEO, Jeremy Clark that we all know did a, a terrific job while he was here. And Jeremy has moved on to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, he's running a five hospital system there. And uh, so we're, we're excited for Jeremy, and we're also excited to have Joel with us. And a couple of things about Joel, if this is the first time of uh, an introduction for Joel, he's uh, been at, at uh, Coastal Carolina Hospital, the CEO there for a little over the past five years. And then, uh, then prior to that, 
He was with the Citizens Baptist Medical Center in Talladega, Alabama. And uh, so, you know, we've got, uh, I think we've got a little bit of a Birmingham connection going on today with, with Joel and with Jeremy. Um, and then uh, also just as far as his background goes, he, he was a graduate of Birmingham Southern University or college and then went on to uh, uh, get his MSHA and MBA in healthcare at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So Joel, congratulations to your new role here. We're looking forward to working with you and partnering with you. And uh, we look forward to hearing your update today. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill, for the, uh, the opportunity. It's certainly an honor to assume the role of a uh, market CEO. This is a fantastic team. I've seen that over the last five years and certainly over the last, I would say, 20 months. I think anyone in healthcare would tell you, um, as Dr. Kelly kind of shared the data, this has been a very challenging time in healthcare, but, but exceptionally rewarding as well. If you, if you just look at the teamwork that goes on amongst uh, the individuals that are caring for patients, both in hospitals and in other care settings, it's really remarkable. Um, so I'm, I'm honored to uh, step into this role, proud of the team. And I'll start with just the thanks to the team, to our staff and our physicians. And I'm thankful to report uh, that this morning, uh, we have 13 COVID positive patients in our two hospitals. I'm thankful because Exactly one month ago, we had 50 COVID positive patients in our hospitals. Um, of the 13, seven are in our ICU beds. Uh, and uh, we continue to see a positive trend and uh, declining admissions of COVID positive patients. In Buford and Jasper counties, we are seeing a decline in positivity rate in Buford and Jasper County. So we are heading in the right direction. As, uh, as Dr. Kelly said, I don't think we can become complacent in that. So the 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 proven path to success against this uh, against this disease is the vaccine. And Dr. Kelly did such an excellent job explaining. I will tell you from the hospital standpoint, uh, the uh, the last month we've been stretched. We've been stretched in terms of resources. Uh, the staff have been stretched, um, and so to start to start coming out of this um, is welcome. Uh, welcome news, welcome timing for all of us, and just want to encourage the community to continue to be vigilant in everything that uh, is being asked from a public health standpoint, washing hands, keeping uh, distance uh, between one another whenever available, and then certainly wearing a mask um, when you're unable to keep a distance. So again, just my sincere thanks uh, to, to speak with the group today, and uh, certainly of our team and all the support that we've gotten across the community. It's really been remarkable. Joel, thank you, and it's it's uh, great to have you with us today. Uh, a question that we have coming in from Rachel, and Rachel is asking if uh, with medical professionals around the country, they're experiencing high levels of burnout, and just wondering that how you and your team are managing this process to keep your staff not only healthy, but also in the right frame of mind. Wow, that's a great question and very much in tune with what is going on. I would tell you right now, what we are trying our best to do is to um, really just be empathetic to our staff, uh, control the environment to the best of our ability, which is very challenging at the moment, and then give, uh, give time off if people ask. Um, people need mental health days, and so people taking vacations. Um, certainly, we live in such a great place that sometimes you uh, just on a day off get to wander out to the beach. So just appreciating and enjoying uh, 
what's going on outside of here right now. I think long term we will as a as a hospital system and as an industry have to continue to adjust uh, what the uh, kind of what the setup is for staffing our hospitals because of that burnout rate. It's pretty substantial. Joel, uh, the last two questions for you. One is, are you seeing uh, COVID increasing in younger patients? First question. Great question. Yes. Um, as, uh, as Dr. Kelly kind of uh, showed in one of her graphs, I would tell you what we have seen both in our emergency room visits, as well as the patients that have been admitted um, both to our medical surgical floors, as well as the ICU, uh, have been have been younger than what we've experienced in previous surges. So what we historically saw in 70 and 80 year olds, we're now seeing in 40 and 50 year olds. Um, and so uh, that that, you know, that experience at a statewide level is certainly what's going on here locally. All right. And then uh, secondly, if uh, you're experiencing any um, any having to delay surgical procedures, elective surgical procedures. Great question. We are what we are trying to do is is uh, spread out those elective surgical procedures so that we make sure and have the staff available uh, to care to take care of the COVID positive patients that we are seeing. Uh, with this downturn in COVID positive patients, we expect to be back to kind of quote unquote normal operations within the operating rooms here in the next week or so. Uh, if if everything continues on path, but uh, we have had to postpone some elective surgeries as of late. Yes, sir. All right. Then uh, the last thing we talked a little bit of football with Senator Graham, and uh, you know, just as sitting here with you today, and if if I were going to turn, if you were going to turn your camera off and start talking about football, I think probably we would think we're hearing Coach Nick Saban. I hear a lot of that, uh, a lot of that same tone there with you. And so I got to ask, uh, Birmingham guy, are you an Alabama fan? Is that where your allegiance is? Oh, great question, Bill. I would tell you what is, uh, what is unique. I grew up in Nashville, but my mom went to the, uh, her family hall all went to LSU. So I grew up an LSU fan, um, down in Alabama though, you have to pick one or the other. And I chose Auburn because unfortunately Alabama historically has just taken it to uh, LSU year in and year out. But, uh, uh, I've got Alabama and Auburn both in my household for sure. So I just stay quiet sometimes when that game's going on. Sometimes that works best as we both know. Joel, yes, thanks sir. for being with us and uh, good luck in your new role. And again, we look forward to working side by side with you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Bill. Look forward to it as well. All right. As we move on and transition to our next speaker this morning, we know that our schools have certainly done a tremendous job of navigating the Delta variant and, uh, to tell us how they're managing that and what's next for our students is our good friend, Dr. Frank Rodriguez, the superintendent of Beaufort County Schools. Dr. Rodriguez, great to have you back with us. And I uh, know you had a school board meeting last night, probably another late night, uh, but we're glad you're with us this morning. And we're going to unmute you in just one second. And we're going to be ready to go. Thank you, Bill. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Thank you. Good morning and to you and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me here today. And I, I look forward to updating you on uh, some of the happenings in Beaufort County School District. So um, as you may have heard that our Board of Education met last week, voted not to institute a, a mass mandate in schools, although it's not required 
uh, we are highly uh, encouraging masks as a mitigating factor and do have uh, mask requirements in a couple of areas. And that is uh, in school nursing rooms and athletic training areas um, with our visitors that come to school, as well as for South Carolina Department of Education directive uh, and federal law as well, masks are required on school buses. Uh, I'm pleased to share with you, uh, uh, as you heard today, uh, sort of the trends in COVID numbers are, are decreasing. Uh, that is true uh, also within the school district that um, we have continued to see a significant uh, decline. Last week, uh, we had uh, just 37 new positive cases out of over 21,000 students and three staff positive cases out of approximately 3,000 staff members. Uh, in terms of quarantines, uh, last week, uh, we were down to 251 students in quarantine and 16 staff uh, members uh, that are uh, close contacts and quarantining. Uh, we do continue to offer uh, what we call dual modality uh, instruction for COVID related absences for our students, which means that if they're absent uh, due to being a close contact, that uh, they can zoom in uh, for instruction uh, with their live class uh, that's taking place. So that uh, we hope and we think is an added benefit to our students uh, to keep them moving along in their academic progress. Uh, this obvious significant downward trend in numbers is uh, is definitely heading in the right direction, and uh, uh, we hope uh, to see it continue to go downward. So I uh, want to share with you a little bit about uh, uh, report cards last year. Uh, uh, well, two years ago, there were in 2020, uh, there were no state assessments. This past year, uh, there were state assessments, but uh, essentially the state hasn't really been doing much with those numbers because of all of the, uh, the challenges around the 2020 and 2021 school year and different types of instructional modality that was taking place across the state. Um, but since I last spoke with you, uh, uh, we have some numbers that were released uh, in terms of academics and uh, the measure of progress towards the goal of our, uh, the profile of a South Carolina graduate. So these goals include things like academic success, preparing for success, uh, our multilingual learners, graduation rate, and producing graduates that are college and career ready. And so some takeaway from the numbers that we got uh, during the course of last year and challenging uh, measures with the pandemic, our district exceeded the state performance in all of the reportable categories that were released. Uh, the pandemic did, however, have an impact on student achievement. I think the last time I spoke with you, uh, the state was projecting seven to eight out of 10 students in grades three through eight uh, were projected to be uh, below grade level across the state. Um, we did uh, we did uh, uh, do better than that, which is good news. Uh, and so, but what we did find is that uh, family well, that last year, uh, the impact of the pandemic was real. That not only that, uh, with choices versus uh, virtual instruction or face to face instruction, we are seeing that that those students choosing for face to face instruction. Uh, seem to fare better on those uh, state assessments. Uh, the Beaufort County School District, like school districts across the nation, are facing the very real challenge of academic recovery and learning loss for students. And uh, so that is that is something that is actually going to take uh, about a three-year period in order to make up that academic recovery. Uh, and so we are uh, working diligently at that. Uh, we have uh, 
you, you know, decided that we're going to utilize our resources to support that academic recovery, as well as support our other initiatives uh, that support the progress forward for all students. And so we're, we are continuing to do that. I want to share with you uh, some other positive academic news, uh, even during the pandemic, and that is that our district's high school graduation rate for 2021 uh, was 88.5%. Uh, that was up uh, about three, almost 3% from the prior year. I um, want to share with you uh, as well that our uh, Hilton Head High School uh, was listed among South Carolina's top uh, high schools. Uh, rankings, not only that, but uh, three of our six district high schools are ranked in uh, definitely in the top 30. Uh, financial news, uh, the school district's financial operations remain in good hands. Over the past 20 years, the district has never had a negative finding in any of its annual independent audits. Uh, in addition, the district finance staff has earned a national award for excellence from the Government Finance Officers Association for now 29 consecutive years. Uh, Moody's Investor Service, again, assigned the Beaufort County School District uh, AA1 uh, rating, credit rating, uh, which is the second highest possible score. Only Greenville County uh, School District um, has uh, in South Carolina, uh, which is the largest, uh, has a similar or equal rating to, uh, to the Beaufort County School District. Uh, obviously, in, in Greenville, they're boosted by uh, business industry and a heavy tax base over there. So, uh, so ours is uh, equal in terms of our rating to, to theirs. Uh, and in closing, uh, I just want to share that uh, the patience and determination that we've seen from our students, our parents, our employees, and community members uh, really give me confidence that together uh, we can continue uh, the work forward on the academic recovery efforts and mitigating the effects of the pandemic on student achievement. Um, it's a challenge that we all face in, in school districts across the country, uh, but but it is one that we must overcome and we must face and chat, deal with because uh, because ultimately it's the impact on uh, on our children and their academic learning. So uh, we are excited to continue to partner. Uh, one particular great example is a partnership where we're striking with the Boys and Girls Club uh, to also support our academic efforts. Um, after school hours, as well as even on weekends. So, uh, so we are uh, excited about that opportunity and we look forward to that. Thank you for having me today and I'm uh, happy to answer any questions that you might have. Dr. Rick Rodriguez, thank you for that update and congratulations to you and your team for uh, some stellar results that you've, you certainly mentioned there. And uh, we're proud, proud of uh, those results as a, as a community. First question is coming from Caroline, and Caroline is asking if there'll be vaccination clinics coming to the schools in the near future. Yes, actually, um, that is something we we stand ready to do that at any time and support our, our local hospitals. It's just the, the challenge in doing it, quite frankly, is um, that because the infection rate was so high and hospitalizations were so high uh, in, in previous weeks, that um, that um, hospital staff was dedicated to supporting the needs uh, right there at the hospital, which we certainly understand. Uh, I'm hopeful that as we continue to see declining numbers, that uh, we'll be able to, to do it again. We stand ready to work side by side with our community partners at the hospitals who have been great all the way along to work with. So, so we do intend to do that again, whether it's a drive-through uh, uh, clinic, if it's during the day, or whether if, uh, if we do it in the afternoon or the evenings and, and we have people come into our buildings to, to do it. So 
Yes. The answer is yes. All right. Angela is asking when uh, a change might be made to include a uh, antibody test or or uh, another test uh, to prevent or to get out of quarantine. Yeah, that's one uh, we continue to work with uh, with DHEC and with other uh, 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 health professionals on one of the uh, the challenges in working with with uh, with DHEC. One of the things that we hear um, often is that uh, whether it's oftentimes people want a seven day quarantine or a, a, there's a seven, 10, 14 day option. And really, DHEC is is really recommending uh, the, uh, the 10 or 14 day, uh, they see that even within that seven day that oftentimes that that exposure, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily manifest itself. And you might, you might end up with 29, uh, percent, I think it was of, of cases that, that emerge after that. And so, so they still recommend the 10, the 10 to 14 day, uh, quarantine period. So we'll continue to work with them. Uh, and as that changes, uh, then then I think it's something we may be able to do. Dr. Rodriguez, thank you. We had a couple other questions that uh, referred to the academic recovery. You addressed some of that. And so uh, with that, we're going to thank you for being with us today. Keep up the good work. And we look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and appreciate joining all of you here today. Thank you, Dr. Frank Rodriguez, Superintendent of Beaufort County Schools. Bluffton is in a, a continues to be, I should say, really in a growth mode and is one of the fastest growing areas of, of South Carolina. Uh, we know there's so much positive momentum happening in Bluffton and the surrounding areas. And we're pleased to have with us today to talk about that is uh, uh, Mayor, our friend Lisa Salka, and then also the new town manager, Stephen Steese. Mayor Salka and Stephen, thank you for being with us today and, and being patient. And uh, we look forward to, to hearing your updates. And then, Mayor, you and I'll maybe chat just a little bit about football before we uh, end the call today, just so you can have your your time as well. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got a call into Lindsay about equal support of schools. Um, and go, Joel, War Eagle. Anyway, um, thank you. We're both kind of on this together, but separate. And I know Stephen has a couple things to chime in on, but... Um, Love being here, not always on the call, but I do follow up and see what happens. So um, overall, you know, things are fine in Bluffton. I do want to talk about a couple of things we're doing and one one area can hit a lot of subjects. So we um, we put out a digital quarterly newsletter and our first one was in October. And if you go to townofbluffton.sc.gov, you will see on the bottom left side of the page, the announcement of it. And it really covers two things I'm really interested in getting out to the public. One is our comp plan update, which I think all governments are going through this year, just coincidentally. And we have renamed it Blueprint Bluffton because that really seems to hit a hit a tone with all of our residents. People think comp plan, they probably think, let me go to sleep. I'll read something to get tired, <laughs> but it's a survey we're putting out through the end of this month. I really encourage everyone live here or not that loves Bluffton to go on and click on our, our survey and take that. It really is going to help us um, to shape our town for the next seven to 10 years. So 
if you like what we're doing, say it. If you think we can do something better, always say, if you have a complaint, give me a solution. Also on that newsletter talks about a really important regional survey going on, and it's part of our MPO, which is a transportation group federally funded, and it is on our digital newsletter as well. And that is our uh, long range transportation plan. Um, I mean, look what's happening right now in the paper with our neighbor across the bridge. And you're going to see how important this long range transportation plan is to get all of us to and fro from Hilton Head to I-95. So please look at that newsletter. Please, please click on that link. I took it. It's a six or seven questions. It'll take you a minute. You can do it on your phone. But it really asks you questions where you envision pathways, roadways, waterways, anything where people travel from A to B. So that's, those are two very important homework assignments for all 100 plus people that are on this today. If you would please help me and do that, I would appreciate it. Um, before I turn it over to Stephen, we are moving forward with life and our Rotary Club is working on our uh, Arts and Seafood Festival, which kicks off on the 17th with Blessing of the Fleet. And it's a wonderful week-long ability to do free stuff or pay and be part of tours or whatever, but it talks about our arts and our environment. And those are very important things in our town that, you know, with so many people moving in every day, every day, they don't realize our concern over our rivers, but we focus on the May River, but there are many other watersheds that are just as important. So that's coming up. BluftonArtsAndSeafoodFestival.org is the website. Thank you, Chamber, for your support in that. Um, I'm doing Mondays with the mayor. Dr. Rodriguez, we just interviewed him. And it really, again, is to get to people to know people. So many new residents. How do, how do they know what's going on in Bluffton? We really have a good lineup of just, just people of all types, all everything to talk about Bluffton. And so keep a lookout on that. We posted every Monday at 5 p.m. And we've been interviewing some really cool residents. So any of y'all think, Y'all want to be on it? Give me a ring and we'll meet somewhere. That's all I have. I'm going to throw it to Stephen because we are we are in a process of election season and there's some things on the ballot. We can only educate, not advocate. And there's enough information for you all to make up your own minds on where you lie on one of the two issues. So, Bill, I'll put it back to you unless you have questions and we'll let Stephen take it from there. All right, Mayor, thank you. Always informative, and we appreciate that update. And uh, as the mayor mentioned, Stephen Steese, and it's hard to believe Stephen's only been with us five months, I think it is. It seems like it's been longer than that and has certainly hit the ground running and came to us from Easley, South Carolina. And, and uh, Stephen and I did a podcast probably, I don't know, a month ago or so now, and you might want to go back and listen to that. Talks a little bit about his yeah. background, uh, his family, and other things. Stephen, we're glad to have you with us, not only today, but uh, also as Bluffton's town manager. Thanks. I appreciate being here. Um, two things I want to hit on. The first is, uh, as the mayor's talking about all the stuff that's going on, as crazy as it sounds, it is getting close to holiday season. So we're actually planning for our Christmas parade and tree lighting right now. And we shared with council last week, our parade applications actually went live. 
So that's a little different than in the past years. You know, Bluffton Christmas Parade is always a fun event, but we're um, putting some putting some little bumpers in place to try to control some of the chaos. So we're going to have an application process for the first time this year. Um, so I'd encourage you if you're interested in participating in the parade to go out and check um, the application and get one in as soon as you can so we can start making sure we get the lineup squared away. Uh, the other thing I'm going to talk about, let me get my screen shared here. Is uh, what the mayor was talking about and on the ballot this year, there will be a option for what's called the local option sales tax. And it is an additional penny on anything that generates, that has a sales tax associated with it. And I'm gonna go through just some educational materials that have been put together and that the towns and municipalities in the county will be sharing just to be on the same page. Cause like the mayor said, we can only educate so that the best citizens can make the best choice that they want to, they feel is the best for the community. But I'm going to go through just a couple of details and talk about what we're calling boost our communities. So get on the right screen. Um, so what it is, as I mentioned, is a one cent on each dollar of retail sales. It goes to offset property taxes on all property, whether it's real or personal property. So it will affect uh, 4%, 6%, 10.5% um, tax tax value or properties assessments. So if it's your uh, first property, second property, your car, your boat, any of that, it would be used, um, a minimum of 71% of it would be used to reduce the property tax on those um, annual notices. And just as a note here, 32 of 46 counties in South Carolina already have this tool in place. And as Bill mentioned, when we did our podcast, um, where I came from in Pickens County, we had it in place and it on average probably reduced tax bills by 30% throughout the county. So just to go a little bit over how it works. So for every dollar collected, 71% minimum goes to property tax relief and 29% goes directly to the local local uh, government to determine use. Um, and Bluffton, what we've talked about using it for is our capital projects, which are what you see throughout the town, parks, sidewalks, sewer connections, um, projects to protect the May River and other water sources like the mayor talked about, those are high priorities and those are what we have capital projects for. Um, below that is how it's distributed throughout the county. I'm not gonna go too far in that because it's different for each municipality and the county. Um, just using what the county has generated on the penny tax for transportation, um, we have some rough estimates on what that would generate to go towards property tax credits. So you can see on the, the totals for that is about $46 million that would either go towards property tax relief or go towards um, capital projects within the municipality. Just to give you an idea on what it would look like as a reduction, we have a calculator and I'll go, we have a website so you can go and you can calculate your savings. I'll show that in a minute here. But just looking, these are the different towns in the county. You can see 
for the county taxes and each municipality that you're located in. So for the town of Bluffton on a house that's valued at $350,000, you would anticipate about a $265 discount on your property taxes. And within the county, you could see you would get about an additional $162-163 on your property taxes for the county. And that um, this shows a 4%, but like I said, doesn't matter what the property or the whether it's personal or real, that discount would be across all of them. So we have created, you can see on the bottom here, it's called boostourcommunities.com, a website where you can go on there and get information. And you can actually type in what your value is of your home based on your um, tax notice and choose where you're located, which town or whether you're in the unincorporated county and actually calculate and get an idea of what your potential uh, savings would be on your property tax bill. And it will tell you whether it's personal, business, any of that, what that discount would look like. And then lastly, oh, two more slides, sorry. So as we talked about earlier, when you calculate on average, the county and a town's property tax, on a $350,000 house, it comes out to a little over $300, or I'm sorry, $471 when you include the um, your car value, your personal property. So you can see your car value, if it's valued at 15,000, you would save about $158. If your home is valued at 350, you would save about 313. So that totals about $470. Again, these are all estimates. These are all just using some base numbers that people can have an idea of what to look at. So that would save on average about $471. So over your year, you would have to spend over $64,000 in taxable expenditures. So these would be items like clothes, um, sporting goods, golf clubs, stuff like that. You would have to spend over $64,000 to actually pay more into the taxes than you would receive as a credit from your tax reduction. And again, We've created a website called boostourcommunities.com. I've shortened this presentation up to try to fit within the power hour time limit that we had here. So I've cut out a lot of information. Go to boostourcommunities.com and we have a plethora of information. Um, what each town has kind of identified as where they would um, prioritize the funds. And at the same time, like I said, there's a calculator there. You can try to estimate your savings and just get some pros, cons, educational material related to local option sales tax. Um, and that's pretty much all I have on local option sales tax. And that's it. I'll stop all sharing right, here. Right. Stephen, thank you. And thank you for that very informative presentation. And uh, um, we look forward to continuing to see the information get out to the residents to make a decision on how they would like to, to vote. A couple of things that have come in. Uh, first of all, lots of excitement. Uh, several have been reporter uh, emailing in about the Christmas parade. Uh, excitement about hearing that and the, the possibilities and future of that. And then uh, secondly, a, a question coming to us from Ralph. And Ralph is wanting to know the status of Bluffton Town Hall if all employees are back in or if uh, still working remote or what that setup is. So we have the vast majority of employees back in town hall. Um, we are doing a little bit of rotating between some of the staff, just um, areas that we may have two people that say are similar jobs. They like our court clerks. 
they're rotating time in. So just in case um, one of them were to have to quarantine or actually get um, catch COVID or something similar, we would be able to still have coverage where both of them would not be exposed and we can continue operations. But overall, we're probably about 80% of our employees back in town, town hall and town buildings. So we're never shut down to the public whenever we did send employees home. We still kept the front open and we still are open to the public for, um, and we can assist any way that we can. All right, thank you for clarifying that. Mayor, a question for you coming from Tom, uh, asking how do you balance the town growth with the small town feel and charm that, that Bluffton has? Um, well, I hope it meant how, how great we are doing that because I really do think we are, are keeping our small town feeling, understanding there is growth that's coming everywhere, not just in our town limits. And, you know, that's something we all, all used to think, oh, it's just Bluffton. It is Hardyville. It's unincorporated Beaufort County. It's Hill everywhere. You know, it's just educating and getting people involved and making sure they they understand what our constraints are and what we're doing. Um, this old historic Bluffton, I think, is the key to all of that, because you can go to historic Bluffton and really feel like you went back 15 years um, with the personalities and the flavor and the eccentricities and of our of our town. So, you know, we we try to do that, educate, get people on committees and commissions so at least they understand what's going on and how they can make things better and just being available. I mean, Bill, can you not find me any day of the week? Coffee cup in my hand. Very accessible in person, by phone, by Zoom, however anyone would like to uh, be in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. I hope that answered his question. And also at ribbon cuttings. And ribbon cuttings. Yeah, those are my favorite. So, um, you know, one thing if I can jump in and I follow this website a good bit, um, this boost is is really important for people to look at. I noticed the calculator is not up. Don't get frustrated by going on there. It does give you information, but um, I just emailed to address the, the calculator, but it is really important for people to look and see, you know, make their own decision, but don't get frustrated if you can't download the calculator today. We're getting on it. Very it good. about football? Yes. Last question before we sign off. Uh, your thoughts on uh, football? We know you're a, a huge Clemson fan. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I love Auburn, too. And I think Clemson, sometimes you need to drop a few notches to realize how good you can be. And I will always love Clemson. My blood is so orange. It hardly goes through my veins. It's so thick. Um, we will get it. We'll get it together. We have a great coach and we have a great staff and we have a great community. So go Tigers. Warrior. You heard it right there from Mayor Salka. Uh, Mayor and Stephen, thank you so much for being with us. We see the uh, nice job, Stephen. We see ah. that. Support. Look at that. There you go. Ah. <laughs> I figured if you were talking football, I'd go ahead and get my allegiance in there, too. We, uh, we see that. Well done.
Well done. Well, thank you, too, for uh, being with us today. And thanks to all of our listeners, as well as the Beaufort County Channel, for airing this today as well. And uh, as we move forward, don't forget to be kind, be safe, and love each other. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Chamber Channel's Power Hour. We encourage you to tune in for future episodes. Never miss one by subscribing to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 